In a world of downloadable streaming singles, our hope with this podcast is to look a little deeper at what influences musicians and see the impact an album, as opposed to a single, can have on an artist's work. Welcome to The Sound Effect. We're your hosts, Dave Meehan. And Tom O'Connor. So, Tom, uh, and forgive me, as I am not a French speaker, living in yeah, Ottawa, think- you know, living in Ottawa, grew, like, grow, grew up in the area, you at least have an excuse. You lived in, like, K-Dub, grew up there, you know, the 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 bilingualism kind of stops about 45 minutes down the, four, uh, the 417. Uh, so... You know, but I'm I lived in Ottawa. I've grown up here, and I have zero French, so I can, uh, you know, forgive me when I say Histoire de Melodie Nelson. Yeah, so it's <laughs> worth it's worth it's worth first off saying we are looking at our first francophone album this week. Yeah, and we are two anglophones looking at our first francophone album this week. Um, so please so forgive we, it. Any, if there are exactly. any bilingual people out there, forgive. Uh, it's just ignorance on and and a bad. I'm going to say Ontario school system. Tom, you as a teacher, what do you think of that? <laughs> we, yeah, we're, we are absolutely going to butcher names this week and, and things like that. And I've actually thought I probably got, I'm, I'm probably going to avoid trying to translate much in my own yep. uh, nope. uh, voice. Cause I'm just, it's just, I'm just going to butcher it. And I don't want to, I don't want to offend <laughs> yes. uh, the good people uh, of Quebec and, uh, and, and maybe even the French speaking Europe, if they are listening to this. Yeah, uh, we'll just save it album, for, we'll just save it for the bloopers. <laughs> that's right. So the album we are listening to this week uh, and was suggested to us this week by our guest who's going to be joining us in a little bit is uh, Serge Gainsbourg's album, uh, The the History of Melody Nelson from 1971. Uh, there has been an interesting thing here, Dave. I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of our picks so far have kind of been concepty albums or thematic albums. And this is yet another one of these, a, a concept album. Um uh, sort of pseudo autobiographical, as I've seen it referred to online. Right. Uh, plot involves a sort of middle aged man, Gain- Gainsburg, maybe not Gainsburg, <laughs> uh, unintentionally colliding his Rolls Royce Silver Ghost into a teenage girl. Um, he couldn't have just said is, his car, right? He had to say yeah, his yeah, Rolls Royce Silver Ghost. Yeah. And, um, and that girl is Melody Nelson, who is 14 years old and the subsequent seduction and romance that that ensues here is what this album is about. Now, um, it's also worth noting, though, as the conversation, as you're going to see with our interview today, um, this album, I think, for a lot of fans is less about the content of the record lyrically, but more about the sort of sonic production here um of the record is that a fair assessment Dave? oh i think so and you know and that's pretty much 
as I've mentioned before, that's the sort of thing that hits me right away, uh, hits me most when I listen to a new album that I have no history with. And lyrics come later for me. But, and and that's no change here. Like, the production was like, wow, like it's it's crisp, it's clear, it's uh, very Phil Spector. I found, yeah, um, yeah. you know, but the, with the orchestrations, a little bit of, you know, keyboards, it was, to me, it was on listen after listen after listen, it was, it was just, I really dug the guitar on this and, you know, I, to the point where I sent a recording of the, of the guitar to a buddy of mine who's a guitar player. I'm like, what do you call this? It's, it's just open. Like I'm a drummer and in all sense of the word. So I don't play guitar. So, but I'm asking his opinion. Like, what do you call this? This is it's open. It sounds like it's one chord, like just strum over and over. And he was saying, yeah, there's some funkiness there. So it, it, he didn't know that it was an older album. So he was saying, you know, maybe funky, like kind of Chili Pepper type stuff. And then I played him the song, and he's like, okay, like, yeah. This he goes, it's if you're thinking production, it's more sounds more direct into the board. Uh, you know, and very minimal effects. Like it, 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 to me, it takes on, you know, through a few of the songs, like the one I really liked was En Melodie. Like that is, the guitar kind of really leads that. It's more of an instrumental, that one anyways, but uh, it's a little busier, a little crunchier, uh, but still crisp and clean. And that's like, the drums are like that too. Like everything was nicely balanced and... You know, and then of course there's the vocals, where they come yeah. in and they're so smooth, and they're right in your ear. <laughs> you know, you you can almost picture him sitting on stage watching his guitar player with a cigarette and just smoking away and watching his guitar player, and then his lines come in. And you know, I joked with you; it sounded like an NPR interview. When he, because he's like, for some reason, they're right there, and that was that style at the time too. Like that's that goes, that wasn't just a francophone thing. That was like right across the board. Uh, they loved that close, windless uh, microphone placement, right, right by your mouth, and uh, it. But it it seems to work in this, and it gives it gives the album some intimacy, for sure. Well, and I and I think that's the key to that that production yeah. style is that int- intimacy, right? And then and I mean we have to remember Serge Gainsbourg, who who I don't I know a little bit about, but I knew nothing I don't, about. And he's a so so we have here this sort of French Jewish French um, singer in out of Paris who's sort of doing kind of jazz at one point and and sort of influenced by rock and roll at one point, kind of is part of that. Uh, uh, that yay yay style of French pop with like the likes of Bridget Bardot, who he, he eventually has an affair with or a relationship with. I don't think it was actually a, an affair, but he kind of has this. Even if you listen to like that French pop, that whispering intimacy is still there. Even even when you listen to like their American, their their sort of rock version in the 1950s uh, of that sort of American rock style. Um, I would dare say that intimacy and in the vocal arrangements, even there back back then, particularly by the '60s, for sure. And I, so I think, and I think that's probably where that's coming from. And I think we kind of talked about that a little bit in our pilot episode with the Cardigans as well, right? There was, they were still, you know, 1971 technology as far as production goes. It was still like by modern day standards, it was archaic, and the fact that they can get that 
that quote unquote wall of sound and crisp really like and they were going for that perfect production right you 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 wanted it sounding like this perfect orchestra it wasn't until years later that people were like missing that crunch the raunchiness right well let's talk about that for a second i mean you talked about the orchestra here i mean the arranger composer is uh, Jean-Claude Vanier, uh, and there's my first butchering of a French name uh, on this show. Uh, and uh, he, I mean, the, the strings here are so lush. Yeah. And it, and it's interesting that I hear, when I start to read about this album, even a few, what, two months ago now, when we did our episode uh, on uh, the Beck album. Yep, Sea Change. Why am I, sea Change, yep. on Beck Sea Change. Um Beck's father does the string arrangements for that. And the string arrangements here are very, very similar, I found. So I made that connection and that that kind of orchestral sound. But like you said, I mean, the guitar playing is by Alan Parker, who I guess his most famous work before this was Hurdy Gurdy Man by Donovan, um, is is spot on. Like uh, that open tuning that he's doing is really cool and just kind of like, like, it's almost like those lead holds that he's doing where he's just holding a note. It's just sort of slightly over the orchestra mix. It's a really nice mix in that capacity. Yeah. And it's, it's funny there, you know, I listen to that and I'm thinking, well, that kind of, there's a, there's sounds like the Beatles, something from like the, uh, like the revolver album or the white album where it was just that George Harrison kind of open guitar, minimal, like no effects, like no distortion or anything like that. And then one very modern thing that comes to mind, there's a song by Tom York called Harrow Down Hill. And it's this it's that same thing. There's this open guitar and you just get sucked into it. this i'm like i wonder if like tom york's kind of all over the place with influences i wonder if this was that sort of thing or was it just you know this was an influence on something else that he heard or and and, in any case it was just yeah that that sound has has lasted from the 60s to now and and people just keep going back to that yeah i just give me a little guitar here with a clear open tune and just go for it well, the, the parts, it's funny you brought up Tom York because the parts that I thought were, were intriguing with the guitar reminded me at points like the very first note or two of the guitar solo in, in Radiohead's Just. That, oh, yeah. That, where it comes in, uh, the guitar kind of reminded me of that. With a, with I know that Just doesn't have an orchestra, but there's like this wash of sound going on, yeah. and then that guitar comes in for the solo.
it's and and just the little bits there reminded me of it. Um, but I also think probably the thing that stands out, and I know it stood out for our our guest, is the bass playing from Dave Richmond here, yeah. uh, which is just uh, it, it's almost. Uh, and again, I, I think I've said this in past episodes. I kind of hate throwing around this word all the time, but it's kind of like an iconic kind of French. I don't know, like, and I think our guest sort of talks about this too. There's, there's a sound here in this bass line that I think Leonard Cohen tried to chase, and other musicians were trying to chase this sound that that Dave Richmond is able to 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 bring across in this record. Uh, and for those of you who don't know Dave Richmond, he was the bass player with Manfred Mann, who are kind of known for being an amazing jazz band who kind of slummed it in the <laughs> 1960s to make some money in the British uh, when when kind of the British invasion happened. They kind of figured, hey, we can go and write, do a dee-dee-dee-dee-dum-dee-dee-do and make ourselves some money. Right. Uh, and or they play, did Or so. do a Bruce Springsteen song. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and but Dave Richmond... Um, the bass playing on this record, wow, wow. That sound is just uh, really spectacular. And our guest is going to talk about that too. But I, I think that is great. And I know that through our conversations while listening to this, uh, you brought up Jane Birkin uh, and and her, her, I don't know what to call it, her her personality uh, on the album. What, yeah. what, what do you call that, Dave? Uh- <laughs> You set me up. I'll here. put you in the hot seat. I'll put you in the hot seat. <laughs> uh, mm, well, I know she's young. And, and she is Serge's partner. She is Serge's partner yeah, at that point. And right? yes. And uh, yeah, like she plays the part very well. On the uh, on the oh, shut up <laughs> of the of the fort the part of the the fourteen you know, the love interest yes. of Melody the fourteen Melody year old uh, teenager yes yes mm-hmm. yes
50 years of hindsight in all this and yes. so much like i could throw woody allen into this oh uh like go look go looking back on his movies and you're thinking wow he had a thing with young really had a thing for young oh. girls didn't he well, we can throw Charlie Chaplin in there. Yeah. We can we can throw. Um, but as I'm gosh, thinking, I, I think mean, anyone. I'm, I'm right? thinking. I'm thinking. Uh, Woody Allen as like the the person, the 14 year old mm. person. Yep. was part of his art. You know, oh, and, right, and, right, and right, in this right. and in this case, yeah, Serge wrote a album about this girl. Yeah, she's not a yeah. woman. She's a girl, and 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 it is un. Um, it is it owns it like it's yep. not like you're oh yeah people can look at this and kind of go um i i've been listening to a podcast called the lolita podcast so <laughs> it was kind of timely that i we got this record as i was listening to that because i couldn't separate that the topic of what this album is about and it was awkward and uncomfortable for me to listen to as i was listening to this podcast as well and you can take nabokov's book and kind of break it down and go nah it's kind of misinterpreted and here are the reasons why and that argument to me makes a lot of sense whereas here there is no argument going on here serge gainsburg is fully saying yeah this is the story this is the story i am writing here and it is about an older man an older rich man having an affair with a 14 year old girl meeting her in a hotel room. Um, yeah. There's, there's references in, in um, Laval's the melody um, of being opened up. There is lyrics that, uh, you know, Oh melody. If you, if you lie to me, I will do something crazy. I don't know what I will do. So that idea of like the almost emotional blackmail of melody here by, by this older, um older man yeah. right so it, i mean the album is a wash in this awkwardness cringy. and this uncomfortable and, and cringy. cringy cringy topic right yeah. um so you really do have to sort it really does push this argument that we've been discussing now for what really discussing the last five or six years of can we separate yeah the artist like, from the art yeah you and i have had this conversation a few times mm -hmm. now and uh I'm going to come out and just say, like, yeah, I could, I can listen to this. I, I don't know if it's because of the French helps. Yeah, I don't understand a lot of mm. what he's saying. You know, my favorite song is, you know, just because of the guitar playing and the drums and and the sound is all melody, which is probably the cringier. Uh, that's the one where you just hear hear her kind of in the background, squealing and and laughing and and stuff like that. Again, cringy. Mm -hmm. um you know but i can i can listen to it and separate the two and in the end it's it's you know there it's it is this piece of art that this gentleman created and um you know you take what you can with it or from it and uh and just go from there and you know acknowledge it i'm not defending anything mm, he did or of course or of course. anything or or what he sang about you know and maybe at the time too it's it was good, you know, European and in, you know, from France, he's maybe it was just interesting publicity to say, yeah, this is so semi autobiographical, you know, did it really happen? Who knows? It, does that make it any better? Well, and I, and I often think like, and you and I have had this conversation before and I, yeah. and I tend to fall on the other side of the argument where I find it, 
much more difficult to separate the artist from the artist anymore. And I'm not saying I can, I can't do it. Uh, I'm not saying I can't still enjoy a piece of art made by, you know, a pervert or whatever, but I, I do find it much, much more difficult to do. And, you know, and I've had this conversation with you over the last couple of years when it comes to everyone from Steven Tyler and Bill Wyman to David Bowie. Um, yeah. I, I have a problem. To, and, I, and it's a problem for me that I have to listen to the song on its own as a piece or I listen to an album as a piece and then kind of force myself to go just just listen to the music, listen to Great Balls of Fire and forget right. everything you know about Jerry Lee Lewis, right? So yeah, it's difficult, and uh, and I think that's what I kind of had to do with this record. At first, when I first listened to it, like you, having no comprehension of the lyrics, yeah, I was thankful I didn't go and get my kids to come in and translate the lyrics for me. Yeah. Uh, but as I was listening to that, I was thinking, oh, well, I can, I don't know what the song's about, but man, the sound of this record, right. But then when I started to look at the lyrics, it was like, ah, now it gets awkward. You know, right? and it's so, not like, and it's not like we're the only, you know. Again, this doesn't make it right, but this album's been around for fifty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's influenced, you know, everyone from Bell and Sebastian Beck. You know, we've chatted about yep. how the uh, Sea Change, one of the albums we talked about. He even said there was that influence from Serge Gainsbourg. Yeah, right. Pulp, Stereolab, like all cite this as like yeah this is an influential album and, oh yeah and and, and the trip the trip hop music movement is very very based around sage ginsburg's you know ginsburg sound right and uh you know his daughter charlotte has mm-hmm. a, has a fantastic career going you know you mentioned bass that was one of the things that when i kind of started listening to her i'm like wow she's got a fantastic bass player and i'm like i wonder if that's because uh her dad kind of Mm-hmm. Really, really knew how to put a bass line together so yeah it, it, this oh, is a, this is the whole thing right and yep. where it's like wow like you know and, and we can get into to movies and stuff like that like uh, of all this stuff now like woody allen movies brian singer movies whatever and it's it's an un it's part of what we're all going through right now it's uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. uh absolutely about stuff that you never really either thought about or you just never thought it was a big deal back in yeah whatever that's back in the day yeah so. the conversations we we need to have now about the music and we and you know and 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 it's interesting to think that these are the conversations going forward that that hopefully producers are going to have right like oh, okay what can we you know let's let's treat this with a little bit more respect let's you know, I'd like to think, anyways, that that's that's where music is is going. Yeah, right? we could have a whole episode of just you and me oh, talking yeah, about like, uh, you know, what makes you uncomfortable about this album that you grew yeah, up listening for to, sure. and and or or this movie, even if this was a movie podcast, you know, yeah. I can I can talk about that forever. What was your favorite song on the album? Um, my favorite song on the album was probably the lead off track. Um. But uh, and I know this is sort of the similar answers to to our to our host. So you can pick whichever one you want right. from, from right. that. Yeah. But my but my two favorites were the the opening track and the closing track. Uh, I loved melody uh, again because of that bass line. I really thought that yep. was really cool when it came in. And um, I think oftentimes when I when I gravitate to an album I've never heard before, 
those first notes are so important. Like I, I'm, and I know Treephones talked about this in the pop-up episode last week. Uh, if you follow our social media, you got that. He talked about skipping over the first track, but for me, the first track is the almost like the establishing shot yep. in a movie. Absolutely. And when I listen to melody, when that bass comes in at the start and that little kind of groovy guitar hook, it's like, oh. Celle de la Rolle s'effleurait des pylônes. Quand, m'étant malgré moi égaré, nous arrivâmes, Rolls et moi, dans une zone dangereuse, un endroit isolé. de radio couvrant le silence du moteur elle fixe l'horizon et l'esprit ailleurs semble tout ignorer des trottoirs que j'accoste Spirit of Ecstasy. 
ainsi je déconnais, avant que je ne perde le contrôle de la Rolls. J'avançais lentement. Ma voiture dériva. Et un heur violent me tira soudain de ma rêverie. So our guest today, as a member of the Deers from 2004 to 2008, uh, as well as 2010 to 2016, Patrick Kreef became standard bearer of European influence in Canadian indie Baroque rock. His debut solo EP, Take It or Leave, was released in 2007. He followed this up with several records, including the double album Automatic. In 2020, Kreef's psychedelic sound came through on his record Chemical Trance, and uh, yeah, Patrick, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, I think we're both kind of excited because when we, when you made your pick for the record to do, it's our first francophone album, which is, which is awesome, and right. some, and something we knew we would, uh, we would want to address and 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 have at one point in time. So that was really really cool. Uh, and I think for as it was both uh, an awesome experience because we, you know, we're not familiar with the record and that for us is always a key for this show is how can we 
how are we introduced to a record that we don't know much about actually? So I think probably our first question for you, Patrick, is explain the phenomena that is Serge Gainsbourg to the re- to to Anglo Canadians and uh, and just sort of you know the Anglo side of things. Why is Serge Gainsbourg such a legend in in sort of French music? Well, uh, I I don't know that I have the answer to that, but I I can tell you that his career had such a such a like long it was such a long career and he's he evolved through so many different eras and changed his sound if you listen to a song like javanez which is like uh one of his first hits it's kind of like this jazzy uh french singer songwriter thing and it's nothing like melody nelson and then later into the 80s he made like reggae records and uh so he kind of he's just kind of like this fixture in french culture um for so many years and um he he has a, a great classical training and he, his story is pretty wild like i think he, he his family uh, escaped the holocaust or it, it, he's a russian uh immigrant and there's a uh, a movie about him that i watched years ago and i i don't remember what it was called it's in french though but it was really really pretty cool and gave me some insights about him and um, I'm surprised, though, even that a lot of times when I'm talking about music to French Canadians, and I mentioned Serge, Serge Gainsbourg, they're kind of some people don't don't know who he is either. You know, even the, on the French side. So I mean, it's just a, uh, a he's been dead for a long time, and those records are pretty old. And uh, I guess he's not as big as I think he should be, but in in other areas of the world, I think you know, pretty much everybody knows his name, and his daughter's pretty uh, successful right now and and relevant. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I certainly didn't know about him until later in life, and uh, and my parents are French; they're francophone. They speak French as their first language, and. Um, they listened to a lot of French music when we were growing up, and he wasn't part of that. Yeah, and it's it, it's interesting that, like, when I start to look him up, you kind of want to make, like, English comparisons, right? So, <clears throat> is this, like, the English Dylan? Is this, like, the English, uh, or, the sorry, the French Dylan, or, or, or French, whatever? But the name, one of the words I kept hearing was Bowie because of exactly what you were talking about with this ability to kind of change musical styles like on a dime almost right from one album to the next yeah it's i don't i would never have thought of him as uh bowie but in in his ability to adapt definitely i i can i can draw that comparison but musically i feel like um you know he really at especially at some point in his career he really like made it about his relationship with Jane Birkin and so that was kind of Bob Dylan-ish I guess uh, and he's definitely a a storyteller and um, even though the story of Melody Nelson is totally uh, depraved and not would not be accepted on any level today to, to, to have a concept record about that 
Um, but yeah, I mean, he was definitely risky, uh, risque, you know, like offensive and harsh and, um, but I, I kind of discovered him first as a, uh, because of this record, because I'd been listening to Sea Change a lot at when, and I went in to master something, uh, and I referenced Sea Change. I told the guy that was mastering it, I said, this is uh, the record. I, I like the sound, the bass tone. And he, and he just said, well, yeah, it sounds like it's Melody Nelson. And I said, I don't know what that is. And he was like, what? You know, just totally freaked out that I didn't know about this record. And uh, he turned me on to it because he said, you know, like Sea Change is absolutely <coughs> like the biggest ripoff of of Melody Nelson and, and the Gansbill family had actually reached out to to Beck about it not in a uh, nasty way apparently but they that's how they kind of linked up apparently uh, Beck had handed that album to his band before recording Sea Change and you can hear it right away when I first heard the record I was like well there's the bass tone there's the string arrangements the type of string arrangements with the big hall reverb on them and even the way the drummer plays and that kind of dry raunchy guitar tone it's it's all in there so that's how i i discovered him was as more as I was thinking more as a producer how do you get those sounds and and how did you get that obviously love the the music but it was just like a sound atmosphere that i was so drawn to in this record yeah so we recently had uh zune on the show and he picked Sea Change as his album, so we talked about that. And now I wish we had talked to you first, because this would have like, <laughs> taken the conversation in another direction. I really wonder if you know. I wonder if he's like me and did, you know didn't know about Sea Change uh, about uh, well, Melanie Nelson. We ended up talking. Yeah, we ended up talking in the interview a lot about uh, the influence of um, Nick Drake on sea change as well so it's it's interesting to think oh man he was bringing in these two very kind of you know iconic but maybe underappreciated you know musicians from a sort of quote-unquote bygone era with a completely different sound but this yeah big atmospheric huge string sections into into that production too yeah right? i mean i i've never I, I've never really, like, there's so many times that I've, like, my entire bass tone that I use on every record is has been me chasing that sound. That, like, I still don't, I'm not quite sure how he got it, you know. Uh, there's, I've read different things, that's Herbie Flowers playing bass, and uh, that he used a Hagstrom through an acoustic amp. And I have a Hagstrom, and it's close, but it's not quite that tone it I, I i think it may not be a hagstrom but anyway it's kind of a thing um it's a thing that some of us nerdy uh like producer and musicians and bass players are, are are chasing that tone like what what the hell was that it's so and you get a chance to hear it on its own which is rare on a record because usually the bass is in in the arrangement somewhere but this record starts with bass, just a soloed bass, and you so you can really dissect it and try to find that sound. And that's something I've done a lot of.
you talk talk about the bass because uh that's uh i was listening to some of his daughter's work uh and that was one of the things that grabbed me about hers was like wow that bass line is is killer and it's like right there yeah i think that's uh i didn't beck get involved with some of his daughters yeah Yeah. i think so yeah so i think i think he has he may have the secret (laughs) yeah um and do you find do you find that uh a lot of musicians are chasing that oh there was that bass sound on that one album and i've always tried to emulate it and then they end up creating their own sound from that and then it kind of it's it's like it you know the fact that you like this album and we're kind of like okay where is that in your music but you're like oh but it's those strings it's that bass line and it's just like i was just trying to chase that sound but i didn't quite get it but here's what i came up with yeah i mean it's funny because uh i was just i just finished tracking a new record and i was uh some of my demos uh a lot of my demos ended up being what's on the record and when uh at some point uh, because i had this guy mishka stein who plays for uh for patrick watson he's a good friend of mine and he's the bass player and songwriter in that band and uh sometimes we draw up like his take or or my demos take and you know people the, the comment was like well there's that unmistakable creef tone there like on the bass and so it, it is it becomes it has become not what i like when i'm chasing something i i could only uh use it as a garnish because my I, you know my personality is going to be involved and you know, there's so many references in what I do that I think it starts getting hard to 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 pin it down to something. I don't want to clone anything, that's for sure. But there's something about like it's just certain things, you know, like a and I, I'll go grab it from different artists. Like you know, everybody loves the sound of Bowie's acoustic guitars, and like and how do you get that? You I mean, you don't, you can't, but you can try to grab some of that personality and. You know, it's just having your influences work uh, together to make something new. This is the last death. This is the last death you're ever gonna face. This is the last test. This is the last test you'll ever. Thank you. 
funny because I've, I, I do produce other artists often and they usually come to me with, uh, you know, a song or something I've done that they really like the sound of. And, uh, and then I'm surprised because they're chasing, they're trying to get the sound I I've created. So it's, it's cool. I, that's the, that's the name of the game, right? It's been how it's been done since, uh, Beethoven was doing, uh, variations of Mozart work, you know, it's just, well, and like you said, I, th- I think some musicians can see that as a uh, as a sign of respect. Like obviously, the Gainsbourg family did with with Beck, um, or I mean, most recently uh, the, the the sort of quote unquote controversy around the you know, Lord's newest song sounding just like Primal Scream, right? Whereas Primal Scream were like, "Hey, that's cool." Like, so I think a lot of musicians are like, "Hey, I I'm trying the same thing. I'm just chasing down my influences." So it's cool that you're chasing down. Us, yeah, right? I think it only gets shitty when you get a guy like, uh, like, uh, what's her name, uh, Greta Van Fleet, saying that they don't listen to Led Zeppelin. You know, <laughs> it's like, give me, give me a break, man. <laughs> like, like, yeah. so, um, yeah. I mean, I think that's a big part of why uh, we make music. Uh, I make music, anyway. Is I want, I like, not only is it serve to uh to listeners but uh, hopefully it it goes out there into the universe and it, it makes a mark and then it's eternal that way like it just carried on like a gene or something so um yeah i mean that's part of the that's why i i, I listen to music sometimes and music will affect me in the most random ways it could be um something i hear in the background like when i'm out doing groceries and I don't, I'll never find out what that song was, but I'll go home with a, that was a cool thing. And I'll, I'll just work on something like that, not knowing what I, what I heard and how it's influencing me. What's so to walk us through, <clears throat> you've already mentioned that sort of low end and that bass sound. What else is inspiring about about Melanie Nelson to, to your creative process as a musician and as a producer? There are so many things. It's, it's, I'm glad because we talked about maybe pet sounds, right? But then I, I think that pet sounds didn't in affect me nearly as much as this record. One of the things that this record, uh, well, a couple things. I love the way the drums are tuned. Um, I haven't done much of this type of tuning but it's 
there's a project I'm working on right now, a French, a French record I'm making and uh, co-writing and producing with a French artist. And I, I told him I want to do this drum tuning on it where like one of the floor toms is, is tuned normal and the second one is tuned almost like a timpani, super low. And you could hear him coming across his, his toms. It's like by the time he gets to the last one, you're like, is that a, is that a timpani? But it's it's part of his kit and it's unusual. And I'm surprised that's not been used more often. But I will be biting that for sure. Um, and the, the I'd say the most important thing in terms of my career in that record was it's the fir first time I thought about singing in baritone, uh, like in the lower spectrum of my voice, was I was referencing... Uh, Gainsbourg when I said I had this song called Magdalena on, on uh, two albums ago Automatic and I was working on demo and it was I was straining myself trying to sing it because it was at the top of my range and then I thought or it was right in that middle point of my range where my voice just gets shitty I can't like I can't I'm not only if I'm supposed to project it or sing falsetto so I said oh, what if I tried a whole two octaves lower, see, you know, pull against bull. And I did it and I thought, well, that's it's funny. I'm really comfortable singing there. And I, I, so I just, that was my, me doing that. And then when that record came out, everybody was saying, that sounds like Leonard Cohen. <laughs> and I, I, I knew Leonard Cohen as the guy who sang uh, Suzanne and So Long Marianne. And I didn't understand the reference because I didn't know Cohen's work like everybody knows, and uh, w when he got older and started singing that way. So that got me to discover later Cohen, you know, because I'm like, why am I being compared to Leonard Cohen? I don't I don't understand the reference. I was going for like a Tom Waits or, uh, or Serge Gainsbourg thing, you know, and nobody would ever reference that when they talk about me singing that way. That's always Cohen. And uh, I, as much as I, I like and respect Cohen, he's not been a huge influence on me. You know, like not like Gainsbourg has been. Well, it's, it's interesting you said Cohen because Dave and I, when we were chatting prior to this, um, <clears throat> when he first told me your record choice, we, boy, we both happened to like coincidentally throw it on at the same time and we were texting each other back and forth. And, you know, one and again, I think it's from the Anglo side of things. One of the first things we'll throw out is the, the cheap comparison. And so it was like, there's a lot of Leonard Cohen here. Right. So I think we both said Cohen. Uh, and, and then one has to think like, but Cohen was raised in, you know, with uh, in Montreal. There's a Montreal connection here. Could, you know, he must have been in some way influenced by by that Serge Gainsbourg sound as well. Well, they're both Eastern European Jews. Right. So, uh, I've, for, and I'm also, I was, I'm not, I'm agnostic, but, or atheist, but I'm also a Montreal Jew. So my, a joke I made when, 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 uh, I said I was trying to do Tom Waits, but it came out all Jewy, you know, <laughs> when people said the, uh, the, the Leonard Cohen and, um, but I think there is a vibe there for sure because you grow up in uh, synagogues and hearing certain types of melodies and and they're the same no matter where you are in the world. Uh, those are the same type of Eastern uh, melodies 
with like uh, quarter tones and and uh, I feel like Cohen got into that later with with hiring an oud player and uh, and having these guys by his side that and he's a Montrealer and it's part of our culture here to to have a lot of um, you know my parents are from Morocco so like we have a lot of that culture here uh arabic music it's it's and and gansbourg uh if you there's no doubt that he was around a lot of that stuff too and so i think there there's definitely a a connection to be made between those two not just because of their uh religion which i'm pretty sure they both abandoned like i did but <laughs> i think uh i think the upbringing um not only um uh, affects you musically, but I think it, you know, anybody who's raised a certain way with, uh, you know, certain ideas, I think it's kind of prone to a sort of like almost neuroses and like, uh, way of debating and, and, you know, philosophy and it's, it's in the culture. And, um, I think that's what they may share though. Uh, Gansbourg was had a major alcohol issue, and I know that Cohen did at some point too. I I don't know if that that affected their uh, their um, sound. There's definitely something there, and Cohen is more romantic, uh, but I feel like his lyrics are highly sexualized, and he's really like, uh, and but uh, Gansbourg is just out with it. He's really just you know we joke about him being sleazy. Yeah. Uh, so like, well, we'll be like, make it more sleazy, like more Gainsbourg, like, you know, that type of thing. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a, a, a link there The this, you know, this insatiable characters that, that are romantic and have this Eastern, um, influence a little bit. Yeah. Is there something maybe to the, to the to the the theme of the record here and I think this is where we'll get into that that conversation that you kind of hinted at at the start of this where where we said you know this is a this is a there's some depravity here and and, the, and this record this seems like a record that today uh, a record company would go there is no way we are releasing this <laughs> and do you think that I you know I can't help but think that vocal delivery has something to do with the sort of secretive kind of dirty underbelly of of the plot to this to this concept record yeah i mean i'm pretty sure he had a hard time releasing it even then because i mean it's it's uh it's really i you know i i have to just suspend the whole what's what's he singing about to enjoy it you know i can't like it took me a long time especially back when i discovered it i was in my early 20s and I back then I, I lyrics were the last thing I would absorb I could listen to a record 30 times before knowing what the singer was saying now it's the other way around this the music and melody can be great but a lyric will just make me look the other way if I it's I'm all about the lyrics now but back then I I didn't have anything throwing me I don't know how I would like think about it now I mean I get you it's almost forgivable because it's in the 70s and it's his whole thing is he's a sleaze 
sleazy guy on this on this uh record but yeah i think today he would he would most definitely be canceled for for putting that record out um you mentioned well, uh, you mentioned tom waits though but like he tom waits a lot of his songs are about not the nicest people too right yeah yeah. Yeah. But I think Gainsbourg really took it to the next level. You know, like it's really with Jane Birkin making all those sounds and like uh, it's really it's really messed up. Um, but, um, I, you know, like I said, this is my intro to Gainsbourg and I was surprised when I delved deeper into his catalog that he could actually sing. Because I thought this is just some guy who can't, he's like some dude that just walks into a studio and there's this amazing arrangement made for him and he just speaks over it. That that's, was my first feeling about it, but it's, he's the arranger, he's the composer, uh, and he's an incredible singer. So it was just, um, yeah, I mean, you kind of got to just not, I mean, I I think a lot of music is is if you if you dig into the message uh, or who the person is, you might set yourself up for disappointment. So I try not to uh, let that bother me. I still could enjoy that record as a musical masterpiece. Yeah, it makes me oh, feel good that, to to let to hear you say that. Uh, you know, even though now you're all about the vocals early on, you're you could listen to a song 30 times and still not catch up on what really the song is about. I'm still like that. I will catch the sonic quality yeah. of the song and listen to it over and over and over again. And then a lyric will catch me and I'll be like, Oh, okay. So yeah. So listening to this album, the you know dozen times I've listened to it since you introduced it to us, that's what I hear is the music The it's the, you know, I reached out to a buddy, a guitar player, a friend of mine, and I said, like, tell me about this guitar sound. Like, what do you hear in this? And he was saying it's very dry. It's very room sound, probably direct uh, as opposed to using like mics in the room. It's probably more direct to the board. And that's what I hear. Uh, the production, it reminds me of the Beatles, a lot of the guitar yeah. on that, uh, like White Album, Revolver, stuff like that. Just that, that Tony uh you you kind of said raunchy. That's a that's yeah. a good term too. So yeah, like to me, like can you just get lost in that music still, as opposed to like no, I, I'm hearing the lyrics now and it's changed since it was like I don't know when you first listened to it, like 10, 20, 15, 15, 20 years ago. Um, yeah, I mean because I I feel like that record is perfect for that, and I mean even though he's saying you know screwed up things i the lyrics are still well written and it's still quality storytelling so i'm not, not like it's it's if only if something is going to make me cringe you know like i when i was a teenager led zeppelin was one of my favorite bands and now i i struggle with hearing baby 15 times in a row as like a verse and chorus and sometimes i'm like well i wish robert plant had you know, maybe on some songs had maybe put a bit more uh, meaning into the words, even though I still love Led Zeppelin, you know, I just, and I still love a lot of his lyrics, but I, if they're even his lyrics, <laughs> but um, I think, 
you know, like it's just that would be a great example of a band that I didn't I couldn't care less. I still those guitar riffs and the drumming and and the singing is so out there and wild and it doesn't matter to me that uh he might not be saying anything important. So yeah. And like you're saying, you're listening to it from a sonic standpoint too, right? Which is again, I think um, it, it's been interesting as a lyricist side of things, the amount of artists we've talked to so far, and, and I'll bring up lyrics, and, and probably I would say over half of our guests have kind of said, ah, for me, it's more about the sonic sound and, and like pulling out that drum sound or that bass sound, like you said. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how I'm still, like, I, I feel like I need to rephrase that. I feel like I'm still that way. Music hits me as a sound first. The sound of somebody's voice, uh, um the whole arrangement just the feeling it evokes lyrics can i'll still hear them it depends on the mix of the music or how the 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 perspective the singer is being put in some some music demands that you listen to the lyrics like an acoustic song like you listen to dark eyes by bob dylan you you got to listen to what he's saying you have no choice um, but if you listen like, uh, Tame Impala, you might not notice the lyrics or even decipher them if you try. So different things, but lyrics can throw me off. If like, if I'm enjoying a song and then later discover that the person's saying something I find ridiculous, then I might have trouble listening to that song again after. So, yeah, I mean, it's all important now, especially as, as a songwriter, um, I've always felt like if I, you know, like when I'm making a record, it's very important for me to have something to say. And even if I have all the musical ideas, I wish I could make it 10 records a year if it was just music. But, uh, usually what holds, slows me down. And I don't think I'm slow by any stretch, but like, usually what paces me is that I need to gather some life experience or inspiration or things that I want to talk about that I haven't already talked about over and over. And, um, so that's, that's why it's become important to me, um, to get inspired by lyricists as well. And, uh, and then to kind of get turned off when I feel like somebody's phoning it in. Yeah. You bring, you bring up a really good point about the acoustic singer, right? Cause how often do we hear an overproduced, you know, a folk album. And I'm like, I'm paying so much attention to all the production and not to you, the artist anymore. Right. And, you know, I could think right off the top of my head of two or three albums right away that thinking I can't sing you a word from that album, but the album before that I could sing every single word because I was so, so paying attention to the lyrics of that record. Right. So what's your, so Patrick, I think uh, we've taken a ton of your time today. Thank you for being so, so accommodating. I think our big final question we always ask the artists is it, we sort of think of it as the most simple question, but it always seems to be the most complicated and hardest one to answer. What's your favorite track on the record? I'm going to have to say it's track one because it's the one I like whenever I need to reference that record. Um, but Cargo Cutie is pretty nuts too. So, um, but track one is, is for sure. I don't remember the name of the track, but there's the one with the finger picking guitar. 
which also inspired me a lot. Um, but track one is is it's got to be that's that's the first thing I heard, and it has all the elements I'm talking about um, that I love about that record. And uh, so yeah, track one and Cargo Cutie are, are would be a close second. Touché ces lumineux coraux d'écho de guillemets. 
you know the virgin suicide soundtrack by air mm -hmm. but that that's also definitely linked to this album they're definitely had a good listen to that one i think air are for sure gansbo fans and they're they're french so looking at the spotify too like 
this is not an obscure album. Melody itself has over 45, uh, sorry, or over uh, almost 5 million listens on just on Spotify. Yeah. Uh, yeah, these are these are well-known songs and well-played. Yeah, and I would say that the, the type of person like me who loves this record has it on vinyl and doesn't have Spotify. I don't have Spotify. I n I'll never touch it. But like, um, I get it though. I get. I don't ha have any issue with people who use it. I just I can't do it. Um, and I think a lot of the nerds that love this record want to hear hear it like in the best possible. So if it's showing five million, you got to imagine all the nerds like me that that <laughs> are listening to it on vinyl for real. Because um, there are people who only listen to things on Spotify. Uh, and don't 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 have any other way of listening. So, I think a lot of those people are not listening to Gans Bull. <laughs> I, I I think. Well, and it's you mentioned air, but I mean, um, I, I was a pulp fan growing up, and and you can certainly hear Gainsbourg in in Jarvis Cocker's delivery in pulp. Um, certainly in Massive Attack and that, and that trip hop movement, which when you mentioned the low end earlier, I immediately came to that trip hop sound that really for me, that's where I heard it when I first listened to this record. I was like, yeah, like you can see where that's that's pulled from there. Uh, I mean, yeah, his influence is huge. I mean, I always knew he was there in the uh, without knowing him in his music. I'd always heard his name referenced with people like Stereolab uh, and and with Air. But you you see so many other artists though, where you're like, after listening to this record, okay, I I see where that those connections are. Yeah, if you check out the song uh, Jane B, where, where he's not singing, it's uh, Jane Birkin singing, but. Uh, the drum beat and the bass, it's so, so trip hop. It's crazy. Uh, and Portishead or for sure had, you know, it's just undeniable that these, these artists had to have known this stuff because it's, the vibe is so, so strong. It's just incredible. I've listened to that song. I know it's the, the what he's done on that one apparently is he's used a, an actual existing classical song. So if you think about, if you don't quote me on this, somebody told me this when I sent them the song, somebody I trust. So I sent them the song, Jane B. I was like, listen to this song, it's incredible. And they said, that's an, uh, that's an already existing um, a classical piece, that whole string thing. She's singing over, so he wrote a lyric, uh, a set of lyrics, for her to sing about her, about herself, which is great that he did that. And um, if you think about it, then that's really a hip hop idea to, to put this kind of groove funk beat behind it with the bass. And and then kind of, even though he re-recorded the classical string part, it's kind of like sampling, uh, you know, grabbing a sample of this classical piece putting a great drum beat over it and then having somebody sing on it that all happening in i think 1969 or 1970 i mean this guy was ahead of his time yeah yeah and i'm gonna listen to that song after we get off because it's just so <laughs> it's i just i just built a new studio in my home 
and I'm, I got new speakers and I'm still navigating, like learning what, like what the, like what these speakers are showing me. And Jane B is definitely a good one for me to listen to, to figure it out. Thanks for joining us today, Patrick. This was a great conversation. Yeah, uh, this is exactly when we when we made this podcast. Exactly what we were hoping is to get you know uh, a musician who just loves a record. And we've had a couple of great conversations so far with people, and this is this is awesome. So you've really yeah, I, it's, it's going to be one of those ones where I think people listen to the podcast and immediately finish the podcast and then go listen to the record because they want to hear make those connections between what you're talking about and the record. So thank you for that. That's great. I and I hope uh, the Gansbull family is is grateful for my tiny contribution. <laughs> <laughs>